The port and shipping sector is one that's helped New Zealand trade its way from remote colonial outpost to first world nation. In that time, it has faced serious economic challenges, and none more so than now. Eric Frickberg investigates. Down at Auckland docks, another ship is leaving port, taking goods from these distant islands to markets about as far away as you can get, where they must compete with products brought five miles down the road in the back of a van and somehow be sold at a profit. The costs are huge. A modern container vessel can cost as much as 60,000 US dollars a day to run. And docking it at one of today's highly mechanized, highly capitalized ports is also very expensive. Large bills face shipping firms at the other end of the voyage as well, and yet a leg of lamb can still be sent from Blenheim to Bradford and sold at a price shoppers can afford. On the face of it, this sounds financially undoable. In fact, it's worked for well over a century, thanks to a delicate balance of volumes, marketing and customer preference. But the system is starting to show cracks. The container crane utilisation rates in New Zealand are well below the top international ports. Their actual throughput is well below a top international benchmark. In other words, too many cranes and too many ports are doing not enough work on not enough ships. That, according to a journalist who's covered the shipping industry for 25 years, Dave McIntyre. A ship's captain turned port manager turned meat exporter, Peter Carr, puts it another way. We've got too many ports that are capable of handling containers. They handle them fine, but the scale and the throughput is very low once you step outside Auckland, Tauranga and say Port Chalmers. And if you have to look at the throughput per container crane in a year, it's absolutely laughable. These comments are matched by a chilling report from the Wellington investment and advisory firm Rockpoint Corporate Finance. It found fast declining profitability for New Zealand ports as a whole. It said the quantity of cargo being sent out of New Zealand ports was rising much faster than earnings were. That meant revenue per traded item fell 55% in a decade, profitability by 60%. And that was before the current economic crisis loomed over the horizon. If that causes niggling worry to become real fear, dealing with it will affect not just unions and management, but the people who own the wharves, which is very often you and me, as ratepayers of local councils which dominate port ownership. Whether from colonial favouritism or local hard work, New Zealand used its ports to trade its way to prosperity early on. A century ago, it had one of the highest per capita incomes in the world and sucked in immigrants, including thousands from Australia. As sail gave way to steam, refrigeration allowed New Zealand to become a farm that feeds Britain, to huge economic benefit for this country. Frozen cargo, the first shipment of New Zealand meat. It was on that shipment that New Zealand's meat export industry was founded, one of the great industries of the world. During those decades of steady exporting to an assured market, shippers and sailors, stevedores and harbour boards acquired enormous power in society and in the economy. 
But according to the economic historian Michael Bassett, the seeds of future turmoil were never far below the surface. There were always struggles between the ship owners and the people that worked the waterfront over what was the optimum number of people to work them uh, because a lot of New Zealand's wealth depended on the trade being handled in a productive manner. That led to struggles in 1890, During those days, wharves were controlled by often stodgy harbour boards, which were in frequent conflict with several powerful trade unions. In the end, this was swept away, along with so much else, by the fourth Labour government. The minister responsible was Bill Jeffries. It was necessary to change the ownership from elected harbour boards into commercially orientated companies, a form of SOE, and to end the collectivisation of labour through the instrumentality of the Waterfront Industry Commission. The overall plan was to get port companies clearly understanding the commercial imperatives, having a direct relationship with their workforce and allowing some competition to occur. And that was the last piece of reform on the block. Bill Jeffries' legislation is the one that still runs the wharves. It ended with most ports being owned or majority owned by local councils as a sort of neighbourhood version of an SOE. Bill Jeffries says it produced a huge jump in productivity. That appears to be borne out by comments from the Maritime Union of New Zealand, which says there were once 7,000 wharfies down on the docks. Now 1,200 do more work, and not all of them have to work full-time to do it. Add to that the great increase in efficiency from containerization, and you might well ask, what is the problem? Behind me is the answer. Three huge container cranes at Centreport Wellington and a ship only sometimes there to be serviced by them. The Rockpoint report points out that Wellington lucked its way into prosperity, leasing some of the extensive land holdings it doesn't need for its limited shipping operations to non-maritime clients such as the BNZ, Statistics New Zealand and Telstra Clear. But its shipping revenues have been flat. The problem in Auckland is worse still. The Rockpoint report says its adjusted profits fell from $45 million to 42 to 39 to $36 million in the four years till 2007. The company says its profit fell further to $21 million in 2008. Port of Auckland's accounts are complicated by special transactions, including the loss of valuable adjacent land, as well as changed accounting rules. But even so, almost everyone agrees there's a problem and it applies right across the industry. The veteran shipping journalist Dave McIntyre says this developed over the years that followed the passage of Bill Jeffries' legislation. Each port company then was allowed to make its own decisions in terms of CapEx, its you know, risk-return strategy, what kind of trades it was going to go for. And what that freedom allowed them to do was to chase new or additional business. And the, the, the obvious additional business to chase was container traffic. And so this led to these various ports around the country all chasing this, uh, new, this new traffic. And so consequently, it meant an increased capex for them all. To function in that kind of market, they had to get container cranes, either fixed or portable. They had to get new uh, container handling areas created. They may have had to dredge to, to accommodate the vessels. Because of that spread, you then got a situation where 
there was a duplication of infrastructural investment throughout New Zealand, and, and that's the situation today. That's the a principal cause of the of the criticism of, of ports is that there's a duplication of capex. Dave McIntyre says this causes real and avoidable costs. Equipment bought expensively, then underused, presents the whole shipping community, importers and exporters, with a real cost that could be avoided. You could say, well, that's a productivity issue. Uh, It inherently means that there's equipment there which is being underutilised, and if it were used to to full capacity, then there would be a productivity increase and a cost saving, which potentially could be passed back to the shipper, meaning the shipper being the, 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 the mover of the freight goods. Ports around the country have suffered from many of these problems. Judith Bassett chairs Auckland Regional Holdings, the ARC entity that owns the ports of Auckland. I think all the ports are spending a great deal of capital on improving their capacity, but not all of them are getting the number of ship visits that they need to justify that, and in most cases they are not earning sufficient to be able to support that level of capital expenditure. New Zealand needs an efficient port sector, but it should be able to achieve it more cost-effectively. The existence of a large number of port companies panting eagerly for custom tilts the playing field away from ports in favour of shipping companies, according to several observers. One of them is the General Secretary of the Maritime Union, Trevor Hansen. It's a cut and thrust industry at the moment. I do feel that there needs to be some regulations. But it's the old game, and it's it's a common saying in our industry, sharpen your pencil or we'll go to the other port. And that's occurred right around the country. They go in, they get a price. Oh, no, no, sharpen your pencil or we're going to go and see Port Chalmers. And they, they, that's it for the talking to Littleton, wherever. They go to the nearby port say, well, we can get a cheaper deal there. And they drive it down to the, the bottom end. And, of course, there is a possibility now that a lot of these ports may not be able to return a profit to their shareholders. And that is possible. The crises that we're going to go into may even escalate that. That's unknown yet. We haven't felt the real effects yet of that financial crisis. Auckland is one of several ports that has felt the heat of large shipping companies picking and choosing and driving a very hard bargain. Auckland eventually won a nerve-wracking battle with Tauranga, almost certainly by offering cheaper prices to the shipping giants. Judith Bassett regrets this state of affairs. As long as the um, self-destructive rivalry in the port sector continues then the ports will compete to please the overseas shipping lines and the overseas shipping lines are laughing all the way to the bank. The ports really need to be more focused on an efficient sector rather than each of them focused on their own immediate port. The ship's skipper-turned-exporter Peter Carr has closely observed the swing of power away from harbour companies to shipping lines. What is happening is that the shipping companies now are starting to call the shots. For instance, when the the very big Maersk line, which now handles 40% of New Zealand's containers, uh, switch from Tauranga to Auckland in the main, Ports of Auckland must have given them a pretty good drop in charge to get them to come there and what's more, to stay there. And what's actually happening in the large shipping companies, the top five shipping Container shipping companies in the world now are actually an amalgam in the last eight years of 28 companies. So they're getting enormous clout. 
The shipping specialist Dave McIntyre describes how this problem can put immense pressure on other ports. There's certainly been situations where ports have made an investment on the basis that they needed to make that investment to service a trade. And a good example was uh, Prime Port Timaru, who uh, have had international trades, container trades coming through. And then earlier this year, for various reasons of rationalization among the lines, they suffered a succession of losses of those trades, where basically the lines just said, well, we're sorry, but in the international trading conditions of today, we we can't come there. And so they're left without equipment, and they're left also overstaffed, and they have to take a fairly hard line about cutting the, their cloth to suit. There's also a situation where, if you t- take, for example, the Centre Port Wellington situation, they made an investment in cranes uh, a couple of years ago, which was probably debatable on the basis of the, the container traffic they've got going through the port. But at the same time... If they didn't make that investment, they were effectively going to cut themselves out of the market because you could say that, how can you play in that market if you don't have the tools? So it's a bit of a kind of cat and mouse situation, chicken and egg. Which way do you go? Do you take the risk of of bringing in the equipment? Because if you don't take the risk, you stand no chance of getting the trade anyway. The Rock Point report gives a lot of detail about what this means to ports. It points out that New Zealand's 13 major ports, averaged out, have been left with no money at all after paying tax, business expenses and capital expenditure from 2006 on. It adds that capital expenditure has been huge, one and a quarter billion dollars from 1995. It allowed many more goods to be exported or imported. But the earnings per item of merchandise fell 55% and profitability fell 60% from 1997. The biggest of all the shipping companies is the Danish firm Maersk, handling 40% of New Zealand's cargo. Its New Zealand manager is Julian Bevis. He rejects any suggestion that the troubles of the port sector can be put down to companies like his, but he does say that his firm negotiates hard to get the best deal from ports that it can, as any business would in a competitive situation. That's the way markets work. Exactly the same thing happens in the freight rate market. The importers and exporters of this country um, have a wide range of choices if they're going to move cargo from this country to North America, the Far East, and um, they play one line off against the other. And that's absolutely fine. That's, that's the way a market works. Um, if port operators choose to establish themselves as container operators and they vie for business, then inevitably the operation of a market will ensue and competition will ensue, um, which is, is, is a tough thing for, for people to deal with, but ultimately it means that the fittest will survive. And that's, that's got to be to the benefit ultimately of New Zealand because if there is competition in the freight market, if there is competition in the port market, then prices will be held down by competition The alternative is for government to limit the number of ports, but then how how are the prices going to be held down? The Rock Point report indicates that shipping companies are sinned against as well as sinning. They're under great financial strain themselves, with the major shipping lines experiencing flat or negative earnings over several years. Peter Carr. The shipping companies themselves are not getting good returns, and that's part of the problem. Secondly, uh, a few years ago, with, with world growth estimated between 6, 8, 10%, depending where you were, um, the big shipping com- container shipping companies ordered some enormous container ships. 
Now those ships are coming into service now, but the ships they're replacing are still relatively young and haven't been written down sufficiently. So now there's going to be a surfeit of shipping. Now the only uh, thing that's going to happen there is freight rates will drop even further. Now that's quite alarming for everybody in the chain. All this is coming at the worst possible time for New Zealand's own internal transport needs. Faced with a huge cost of roads and pressure to decrease the production of greenhouse gases, the previous government decided to try to revive the coastal shipping industry. The policy was called sea change, and it's described by the former transport minister who pushed it, Annette King. Coastal shipping in New Zealand had almost died in the 1990s, so sea change, the strategy we put out, and the work we did on it with the Shipping Federation, um, was all aimed at revitalising coastal shipping in New Zealand and bringing that mode of transport along with rail and road um, together so you have a much better integrated approach to movement of freight and people. The programme was, not surprisingly, strongly supported by the Maritime Union of New Zealand. But an official of that union, Joe Fleetwood, points out there are other reasons besides self-interest to send goods by sea. Seaborne cargo is always environmentally friendly. It doesn't wear out. There's no cost. There's no taxes that they've got to pay. You can't put a toll on all these things. There's no like potholes that they're going to fall in and you've got to keep fixing. And it's that wide that it doesn't really matter how much shipping is on there. It'll contribute to a lot to take all the congestion off the roads, make them a bit safer and um, get the cargo back onto its rightfully, you know, where it should be, carried by sea. Annette King says the problems facing the New Zealand port sector will closely affect the success of the coastal shipping policy. The idea of sea change and the updated transport strategy was to try and get ahead of some of the international pressures that would have been put on us. Um, For example, our large shipping companies that come into New Zealand, the international shipping companies, already making decisions as to which provincial ports they would go to. And so unless we could get ahead of that and look at how we reorganise our ports, looking at having hubs and spokes that feed that hub, then we were going to be dictated to by the international shippers themselves. So part of the work that we have been doing is to look at how we can better reorganise the ports, knowing that we may well end up with only two or three major international ports from which ships will come in and take our produce out. At this stage, it's unclear what position the new national-led government will take on sea change but it'll find it hard to do very much immediately since contracts with shipping companies have already been agreed upon. Meanwhile, the new minister, Stephen Joyce, says he's still studying the matter. The idea that New Zealand might have just two or three international ports is starting to take root in port management itself. The two main South Island ports, Littleton and Otago, announced in October they were looking at a merger. Having made that comment, port management in both centres immediately went quiet, citing stock exchange rules that prevent further information coming out until official announcements are made, probably in March. As a further safeguard, the owners of the ports are being kept out of the loop under insider trading laws. But Bob Lynham is willing to talk generally. He's chief executive of Littleton's 78% owner, Christchurch City Holdings Limited, a local government holding company. 
We are not actually involved in the discussions about rationalisation of the ports. That's an initiative that has been taken between the two major ports of the South Island. They are the ones that have the capacity to take the larger ships and um, deal with the bulk of the imports and exports. From the City Holdings point of view, we are interested in rationalisation of ports because we know like the Rockport report has indicated that there are too many uh, port operations in New Zealand. We're concerned that the shipping lines have bigger influence than the ports themselves and there needs to be an efficient use of capital in the ports in New Zealand at the moment there isn't. Details of the merger are being kept under wraps as are its effects on smaller ports in the South Island such as Timaru, Bluff and Nelson. Far more contentious is the repeated failed romance between Tauranga and Auckland. The partners have danced together briefly twice and stormed off angrily, with Tauranga blaming Auckland's meddling local government politicians for the failed liaison and those politicians blaming what they call Tauranga's unfair valuation of their assets. The most recent development is a suggestion that Auckland might buy Tauranga's container trade, but Auckland management says that was raised before the credit crisis took place and nothing is concrete. Tauranga's chief executive Mark Cairn says one of the problems with ports is that local government owners have a way of muddying what should be a commercial business. An issue we do need to scratch the surface of in New Zealand is the ownership of ports. All ports are majority owned by regional government in New Zealand. Seven of them are 100% owned. The statutory principal objective of port companies are to be run as successful businesses. I think with the regional government ownership, that's blurred into more social objectives, employment, regional economic development. And I think as a small country, we can't afford to plan for our future looking through 87 different lenses of central government, regional government and local government in a country of 4.2 million people. But Mr Cairns also thinks port consolidation is inevitable and vital for New Zealand, though it should not be forced. Simply, if ports priced to achieve a cost of capital return, invested future investments to ensure a cost of capital return, then a hierarchy of ports in New Zealand would emerge naturally. It's our view that as day becomes night, we are going to have rationalisation. I think the issue is who's going to shape that rationalisation and who's going to be the beneficiaries of the rationalisation. But one way of it happening is to just simply follow the principal statutory objective of the Port Companies Act to ensure the businesses are run successfully. The Port of Tauranga generally gets good reviews in the Rock Point report but still falls short of earning an economic return that would match a risk-free investment, let alone pay for the real cost of capital. Auckland gets bad reviews. Phrases like declining profitability and not sustainable crop up in the Rock Point prose. The Ports of Auckland Chief Executive Jens Madsen says there are reasons for Auckland's falling profitability. First of all, the cargo composition that we are handling here at the port is quite different from other ports in the country. Another factor that's also quite important is the fact that the port company as such has divested itself of a lot of real estate assets. So we are more or less down to core port operations right now. And it's also correct that the port industry as such is going through a difficult time. And that is uh, somehow interlinked with the fact that our customers, the big shipping companies, are faced with some very major challenges in the world market. There are too many ships out there, and that situation is putting downward pressure 
onto the freight, char uh, freight prices. And then, of course, during difficult times, uh, shipping lines will go to their suppliers and see if they can get better deals. Jens Madsen says so far this financial year, the Port of Auckland has shown an improved performance in difficult times for its container operations, but has lost custom elsewhere, such as the decline in used car imports. Despite the friction with Tauranga, Jens Madsen says his management is continuing to work on a merger proposal, though no talks are in train. He sees some form of ports consolidation as essential, but says whatever happens, Auckland would have to be part of the solution. I think we will play a very important role. Our port is by far the largest container port in New Zealand. We are sitting at around 35 to 36% of total national traffic in the container segment. So Ports of Auckland certainly will be one of the players going forward. I think it's also realistic to assume that the number of international ports will gradually reduce. And I would think that in the not-too-distant future from now, you will see four ports, probably two on the upper North Island and two on the South Island, being kind of active as international ports. It doesn't mean that the smaller ports will not be important because they will be functioning as feeder ports. And I think overall it's very good for the country that you are seeing some sort of a hierarchy uh, gradually developing. If Jens Madsen and Mark Cairns agree on anything, it's that port reform should be driven by the industry, not by the hand of government. But other observers point out that local politicians who own the wharves only rarely put national interests above their own parochial pride. Peter Carr. Either the ports talk among themselves and trying to gain the optimum from each port and put them together, and, and Port of Otago and uh, Littleton are talking about that right now. If that sort of voluntary coming together, merger, call it what you will, doesn't work, uh, then sadly, whilst I personally hate the idea, government in whatever form will have to come in and knock some heads together because it's not in New Zealand's best interest for a proliferization of underutilised ports with wasted equipment lying idle for a lot of its time. Every time we buy anything from overseas in this country, it costs us a lot of money. Critics like Peter Carr say the inefficiency of ports affects New Zealand more than other nations because this country is so trade-dependent. Some in the sector say the inefficiency also represents a wealth transfer from ratepayers to shipping lines and to import and export companies. Fixing this problem will not be easy, but it should be tried, as Judith Bassett points out. In all of the spaghetti of port rationalisation, there has to be a meatball somewhere. The problem is to find the jolly thing, and we are working on that. That programme was written and presented by Eric Frickberg. Technical production was by Dominic Godfrey, and the producer was Sue Ingram.